What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everybody. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry. So this is Stuff You Should Know, the dreaming of summer in the middle of winter edition. <laughs> oh, my friend, ice cream is a year-round treat for me. Yeah? Sure. I know. I had some last night. Oh, yeah? What'd you have? We're going to buzz market a lot, probably. Rocky Road and Vividly Vanilla. What uh, brand is that? Kroger. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they were delicious. Nice. Was it heavy or light? It was light. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, after reading this, I was like, man, this is very light. A lot of air in there. I taught myself to juggle with them. Oh. Well, that's exciting. That was a cross-reference. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a Ben & Jerry's guy. Well, yeah, it's great stuff. Yeah. Can't have too much of it, though, because I got the, the lactose issues. Really? Yeah. And ice cream is your favorite treat? Yeah, it's pretty sad. That's self, that's self hate. <laughs> yeah, ice cream followed by a large glass of milk. <laughs> right? No, just kidding. Then you just inject a bunch of casins directly yeah. into your neck. Yeah, I mean, it's, fall over. <laughs> it's not like I don't have lactose issues such that any kind of milk product really, it's just if I overdose on it. Huh. Like if I have a, a bunch of like pizza and ice cream or something. What do they call it? Like mildly sensitive, maybe? Maybe. Mildly intolerant. Yeah, I get the poopy butt. Like, like you're, you're cool with like, um, lactose at work, but you don't want lactose <laughs> marrying your, your kid. You're that kind of intolerant to lactose, yeah, ex- right? Exactly. Terrible. I just don't want it living next door to me. <laughs> right. I, I can, I can get a, uh, I can do a pint of ice cream though, and, or is it the half pint? The, the Ben and Jerry's little one? I think it's a pint. Is it a pint? The little, yeah. Not, not the little a, baby one. That's just like a, a yeah. fistful. I'm not, I'm not seven. Yeah, right. Uh, I think it's a pint is what they sell them. Yeah, at. I can do a pint of like the chubby hubby. That's my old favorite. That's a good one. Um, well, basically any Ben and Jerry's is good. I'm not a big fan of cherries and stuff. Ooh, me neither. Um, but other than that, I'm like pretty cool with, with all ice cream. And I used to not like bananas and things, but now I'm like, I'm cool with bananas. Oh yeah? Yeah. Like yeah. bananas and ice cream, I would never have eaten before, and now I will. I'm pretty picky with my ice cream flavors. I'm trying to think of one I really don't like, and nothing's coming to mind except for stuff with cherry in it. Yeah, I don't like mint. Um, Crazy. I don't like coconut. Crazy. Uh, my favorite is the Chubby Hubby, and then they have, you know, have the limited runs. Yeah. Uh, they have one out now called Candy Bar Pie. <laughs> Candy bar pie? Like, what kind of candy bar is it it's modeled after? It's I don't know. It's got nougat in it. Um, 
it doesn't taste like a specific candy bar though. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're trying to be like a Snickers ice cream sneakily. Mm-hmm. It just tastes it's just delicious. Nice. I uh, love to try that. I yeah. like Butterfinger and ice cream. Yeah. What about so like places to get ice cream? Jenny's is delicious. Where is that? They have it here on the west side over by Star Provisions. Okay. And they got a new one in uh Pont- or in uh Crock Street Market. There's a place in uh, Old Town in Alexandria outside of D.C. Oh, yeah. called Pops. Uh-huh. It's like an old-timey ice cream parlor. Awesome. I think I went in there, actually, last summer. It's awesome. But it did not... Did they have, like, candy and all that stuff? Um, or is it just an ice cream shop? It's pretty much just ice cream. Oh, okay. Then There's, like, a couple of, like, long cases. They've got, like, the old, like, turn of the last century, like, furniture and everything yeah. in the striped wallpaper. Sure. So, like, they're doing it right. Yeah. But then their ice cream stands behind it, too. Hmm. It's good. Uh, and then, of course, Friendly's. Yeah. Friendly's has the Reese's Pieces Sunday, which is probably the greatest ice cream treat ever <laughs> created yeah. in the history of humanity. Yeah, growing up in Atlanta, they had something called Farrell's, which was... I uh, remember Farrell's. Oh, did they have those? They had that in Ohio, too. Uh, and on your birthday, they'd come out with that big drum. Oh, yeah. Scare me to death. Yeah. I went under the table a Just couple like of times. old school ice cream parlor, scaring the bejesus out of children everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> now, they had a lot of candy selection, too. Yeah. Yeah. Man, let's just talk about... Let's just not even do this. Let's just talk about ice cream we love. I like this flavor. I like this flavor. <laughs> Everyone's starving right now for it, though. I guarantee it with I've, that intro. I have one more, though. Um, have you ever been to the uh, Plaza Fiesta, I think is what it's called, over on Buford Highway? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, they had... They have a gelato place there Ooh. that had tuna flavored gelato, uh, raw tuna flavored gelato, and by God, it tasted exactly up. like raw tuna. I flavor. thought you were going to say it was good. It, it wasn't bad, really. Like, yeah, if you if you eat, like sashimi or something like that, I love sashimi. You would appreciate this. It's not something you're like, oh man, I've got to get some tuna flavored gelato. Right. But it, you're not like it's not like one bite and you spit it out. Yeah, yeah. You're just like, this is really odd. Interesting. But, Unusually tasty. I'll have to try that. Yeah. Uh, my other quickly, my other thing I like lately is uh, a little heat in the ice cream. Like some of them have a little cayenne in the chocolate or. Oh, yeah. Or with cinnamon or something. Yeah. Too. That and some salted caramel. I am so over salted caramel or bacon and sweetness. I'm just so sick of that combination. Really? Yeah. It's all r- basically a ripoff of Wendy's fries and a frosty dip together. Mm, that's good too. That's fine. <laughs> That's the original. That one, like, the original salty no sweet. improvement. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm salivating now. I am as well. Let's get through this and we can go get some ice cream, okay? Yay. You're buying. Okay. Um, so, the history of ice cream, Chuck. Yeah, How long you could find, it possibly have been around? Where'd you find this, by the way? We need to give a good shout. Was that the Dairy Association? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, The I think the International Dairy Association, the, the big guy. Not, uh, not the regional dairy association. No, they came up with this, uh, this kind of, this history of ice cream or dairy, frozen dairy treats is right. a better way to put it. Cause ice cream is the lion's share of frozen dairy treats, but technically yeah. it falls under the umbrella of frozen dairy treats. Along with things like sherbet and gelato mm-hmm. and frozen yogurt. Right. Or, um, uh, ice cream sandwiches. Yeah. Novelties. Exactly. Those are good too. Um, well, my friend, it goes back, they say, as far as 2nd century B.C., uh, but they can't pinpoint, like, a definite person or place for sure. Right. They just know that it started popping up 
in history, um, like with Alexander the Great, um, he had flavored um, ice and snow with honey and nectar. Yeah, snow cone. Yeah, and that, that makes sense that that would be the origin of ice cream. Um, it makes me laugh in this thing. They said that uh, Nero and Claudius Caesar would frequently send runners to the mountains for snow. Right. That just seems like a very Roman emperor thing to do. Like, I'd like something cold and sweet. Go! Right. And like three hours later, they'd come back, you know, half dead. Yeah. With- Here is your ice <laughs> snow cone. Exactly. But uh, they would flavor those with fruits and juices, and that was sort of... Um, Another part of the beginning of ice cream. Apparently, all this was going on in a vacuum, too, like over in Asia. In different places? Yeah, yeah. In, the, in the Mideast and Asia, um, wherever they had mountains in these areas, and they could get snow and ice. Um, because Marco Polo, in I think the 13th century, um, came back to Italy and said, check this idea out. Yeah. Frozen fruit treats. And that was yeah. basically the origin of ice cream <laughs> in the West. Yeah, and in, uh, in England, uh, they were big on what they called cream ice. Yeah, because it's England, you got to say it's slightly funny, um, or they would probably call it proper. Right. You know, there's an e at the end of cream. <laughs> Is there? And, no, no. But there, there, there would be. <laughs> uh, and um, Catherine de Medici, who we mentioned in the um, episode. Oh, Nostradamus. Nostradamus episode. That's yeah. right. She was big on it. Uh, she was the wife of Henry II. And back then, though, it was, you know, in the 1500s, in the 16th century, it was only like for royalty because ice was, yeah. you know, they didn't have freezers and they didn't have ice machines. You needed a guy to go run up to the mountain <laughs> exactly. and bring it down. Yeah. No, it was a big deal to yeah. have ice. Unless, of course, it was winter, in which case you were like, oh, yeah, I can have a frozen treat. But if it were summer yeah. and you were enjoying a frozen Dairy treats and the runner. You're rich. Yeah, you're super rich. Um, so apparently, by about the 17th century, there was at least one cafe in Paris. I think it was the first cafe in Paris um, that started selling ice cream to the public in 1660. Nice. They they basically made it egalitarian, and um, from that point on. Ice cream was a definite luxury item, but it, you didn't have to be royalty to obtain it. Yeah, that's a good way of saying it. Yeah. Um, in the United States, the first time uh, they found it in print was in a letter in 1744 by a guest of the governor of Maryland, William Bladen, or Bladen. And there was an ad in 1777, May 12th, the New York Gazette, for ice cream. So it was for sure for sale. Uh, to the people back then. Right. By that time. Yeah. Uh, George Washington had a recipe. Thomas Jefferson had a recipe. Yeah. Dolly Madison used to like to serve it at the White House. George Washington ate a lot of it, right? Didn't he say $200 for one summer? Yeah, and I failed to go to the West Egg currency converter. That's a lot of money. I imagine that's a lot of money. Yeah, but he made, you know, that he had guests and, uh, he may have shared it with his, uh, oh, I would hope so. His staff, you never know. Especially if that's like $50,000 worth of ice cream. Yeah, that would be you a can't lot. eat that in one summer. Even if you're Joey Chestnut, world record holder <laughs> for most ice cream eaten. Is he? Yeah. How much did he eat, do you know? Uh, 1.8 gallons in six minutes. 1.8 gallons in six minutes. That doesn't seem like that much. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah, that's pretty speedy. <laughs> yeah, it is. But hey, that's why he's Joey Chestnut. Plus, don't forget the brain freeze. Oh, yeah. Man. Do you have a thing on that? Brain freeze? No, I've oh, done okay. a don't be dumb on it though before. Do you remember what it is? Like what is brain freeze? Yeah. 
Oh, what is brain freeze? Yeah. Oh, there's a, um, there's a, a blood vessel that runs from your brain into the roof of your mouth uh. that becomes, um, constricted, which changes the volume of your brain, which gives you a headache. Gotcha. Which is why if you place your tongue against the roof of your mouth while you have brain freeze, uh-huh. it warms up that, that, um, blood vessel, allowing it to, um, relax again. Oh, or just light a match and, uh, hold that under your roof of your mouth. That's another way to go. Yeah. You'll concentrate on that pain instead <laughs> of the brain freeze. Interesting. I don't get brain freeze because um, I think as an adult, you know how not to wolf it down like that. I've gotten it accidentally, though, as an adult from time to time. Really? Yeah. No good? No, it's terrible. It's as terrible as an adult as it is when you're a child. <laughs> it's probably worse as an adult. It's just debilitating, you know? Yeah. It's so painful. <laughs> um, so, like you said, until around 1800, it was... Um, Mostly for for the upper class, but then, like everything else in industry in America around that time, manufacturing became more widespread and cheaper. And all of a sudden, you had uh, warehouses that were big freezers, and you had uh, shipping. Um, you could ship things cold and frozen. Right. So you had like the manufacturing aspect in place. Yeah, homogenizer machines, electric power, right, uh, mechanical refrigeration, basically. But even still, you had. You had the manufacturing in place. The distribution, though, was still limited to, say, like a store, somebody sure. who could make money by investing in some freezer cases and then selling it to the public. Yeah. It wasn't until um, ice boxes became widespread in, in America that the ice cream industry really blew up because then you could sell to the guy down at Pops. Yeah. You could also sell to uh, Pops' next-door neighbor who took it home. That's right. To keep in his freezer. And thank God that happened. Yeah, and and actually, as far as making um, ice cream, that the you know the hand crank oh, ice yeah. cream maker that used like rock salt and all that stuff. Sure, that was invented by a woman named Nancy Johnson in the 1850s, I think. Yeah, and she patented it, and apparently everybody ripped her off. She sold the patent for like two hundred bucks, and the guy who bought it from her turned around and like made a fortune off of it. But I guess he ultimately got ripped off by a bunch of copycats. But that that same thing is still in use today. Like you can go buy the Johnson crank. That same, yeah, the Johnson <laughs> crank ice cream maker, and make your own ice cream the 1850s way. Uh, well, you mentioned um, take home ice cream being a big deal uh, to as far as it spreading. Um, I do have a little modern stat. Oh yeah, released from a few years ago. That is still the biggest part of the market. Sixty-seven um, percent of the overall market is take-home ice cream. Well, I saw that 87% of Americans have ice cream in their freezer right now. Yeah, I I don't. I can't. It doesn't stick around? No, like, you know, if you're going to get a pint, um, you might as well just plow through it (laughs) and be done with it. Right. And then get some a few weeks later. You're not a quitter. No, and I I can't just keep like a gallon of ice cream in the house. That's... um, Oh, that's that's a bad move. It's a bad move for me. Yeah, it's a bad move for everybody. (laughs) Well, no, some people have willpower. Yeah, I guess you're right. You're one of them. I don't keep a gallon of ice cream in my house. Yeah, but you got willpower to a large degree, I think. Yeah, well. You're the guy who quit smoking by just saying, I'm not going to smoke anymore. Yeah, that's true. You know? Yeah, I guess I do have a degree of willpower. Um, But I do not. So we're now in the uh, 19th century in late 1800s. And the professional... Soda jerk at soda fountain shops pops up and they make things called like root beer floats and mm-hmm. uh, Coke floats and soda floats. Right. Which I haven't had one in a long time. I used to love root beer floats. Yeah. 
But um, I don't know why. It's, just, it's not something I see very much anymore. Well, you have like to go, have to, you have to, go to the trouble of putting it together. Yourself? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you don't see floats very often anymore. I'm sure there's some places that sell them. But I, they were yeah. good, though. Oh, yeah, man. Root beer and ice cream is a winning combination. Yeah, I mean, I haven't had one since I was a kid, probably. Coke works, too. Yeah. Coke floats good, too. Root beer floats are the thing, though. I think you're right. Um, and then this was, for me, the fact of the show. I did not know about this. Uh, religious criticism back then, they didn't like you eating things that were so rich and, like, gluttonous, I guess. They thought uh, it was sinful. Yeah, well, yeah. On Sundays, that is. And so, in response... They uh, took out the, the carbonated water or the root beer or whatever mm-hmm. and made a sundae. And that's why I called it a sundae originally. But apparently they were like, uh, are you mocking us? And the right. Soda Jerks union said, no, no. And they changed the spelling from S-U-N-D-A-Y to S-U-N-D-A-E. Because they were mocking them. Right. Yes. And they were <laughs> like, this is their act of retribution, changing the spelling of sundae. Uh, and the other cool thing, too, was uh, during World War II, apparently it was uh, the armed forces were all trying to... Uh, outstep one another in providing ice cream to the troops in mm. new and exciting ways because it was such a morale booster, of course, to get ice cream when you're at war. Right. You know, a little taste of home. And uh, I think that was it the Navy that had the ship? Yeah, the world's first floating ice cream parlor. That's awesome. <laughs> in the Western Pacific. Well, even before that, in World War One, ice cream was deemed an essential food. And so ice cream manufacturers got rations of sugar. Um so they could keep making ice cream during the war, even though everything else was being rationed. Yeah, and Ed points out that during uh, the Depression, everything kind of slowed down uh, that was a non-essential, um, including ice cream. But it never went away. And um, through the years, it's it's pretty much gained in popularity. Uh, I think in the 70s is when you started to see a little more health-conscious efforts, Yeah, like the frozen yogurts and the like. Fro-yo. Fro-yo. Right. Emily loves the fro-yo. It's good stuff. Like the new stuff that's really like from the Greek yogurt, you know? Oh, yeah. That's tangy. Changes everything. Not like, I think this can't be yogurt growing up. Was that even yogurt? That was just like soft serve ice cream, wasn't it? Is it this can't be? I thought it was the country's best yogurt. TCBY? We heard it was this can't be yogurt. Huh. Maybe it was different, I wonder. Uh, It had to be the same. Yeah, TCBY. Yeah. No, TCBY was great. I don't know what it was. I think it's still around. It had to be yogurt because they couldn't call it that. But it wasn't definitely not the tangy stuff that you see like at uh, Pinkberry and stuff like that. Oh, so good. Yeah, I'm not the hugest fan. I love that stuff. Each bite is just like, it's just a trip through a flowery (laughs) meadow. Every bite of- Really? Yes. Do you I get the it. vanilla and add your stuff to it, or I get the the regular, like the yeah, it, yeah, just the I guess plain yeah. version. Yeah, and then you throw in a little mango, some blueberries. Oh, look at you! The white yogurt chips on top. Uh huh. That's a good combination. Or if you want to go a different route, there's like you know a chocolate crunch and maybe some other kind of um, chocolatey, delicious treat on top. Yeah. Man, I want some ice cream so bad. All right. Well, we'll get, we'll get to the uh, science of ice cream, um, which is decidedly less yummy sounding right after these messages. So, buddy, you said that... Um, all of that stuff is frozen dairy treats. 
Right. But not necessarily ice cream because there's a definition, correct? Yes. So ice cream is a colloid, right? Yeah. Which is a an unusual and complex substance. And actually, quicksand is a colloid. It's a colloidal gel. Yeah. Technically. I remember that. Um, but ice cream is a colloid, and a colloid is a substance where you have things that don't normally mix that are mixed together. Right. And in this case, you have fat mm. and sugar and milk mixed together with a little bit of air thrown in. And what you need to um, create a colloid is something called an emulsifier. That's the bonding agent that holds everything together, these things that don't normally mix. And in er- the earliest cases, egg yolks were the emulsifier that held yeah. everything together. And, of course, if you're making ice cream at home, you can still use egg yolks as an emulsifier. It's an easy go-to thing. But if you're manufacturing it on a large scale, you're probably using something like xanthan gum or something else sure. to emulsify and stabilize the whole thing to hold it together. But, yes, ice cream specifically is a colloid that has undergone a very specific manufacturing process. And if you take or add different ingredients or different steps in the process, yeah. then you have something different like frozen yogurt sure. or soft serve ice cream or s- sherbet. Yeah, because frozen yogurt isn't just yogurt that they freeze, which I never knew. It's actually during the ice cream making process, they'll put in the, the yogurt cultures to make it frozen yogurt. Yeah. You don't start with yogurt. You make yogurt during yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Pretty cool. Agreed. Which is why every time I just throw the yogurt in the freezer, it doesn't taste anything like it's I want it to really taste. really cold <laughs> yeah, yogurt. It's you gross. Know? Yeah. Uh, the USDA actually has a, um ingredient standard for it to be labeled ice cream, which has to, uh, it has to be at least 10% milk fat mm. and a minimum of 6% non-fat milk solids. Like casins. And a gallon has to weigh 4.5 pounds. I think that's neat. Yeah, sure. Because the as we government learned, government can't get its act together in anything, <laughs> but it can define ice cream. Yeah, and the reason they have the minimum uh, or the yeah the minimum poundage is because, as we mentioned earlier, um, lighter ice cream is generally uh, cheaper because it means there's it's just more air whipped in there, right. and that's why a Ben and Jerry's pint is like a brick. In your stomach. <laughs> yeah, and um, the grabster who wrote this points out that that's usually a general rule of thumb, that the heavier the ice cream, the higher quality it is. Yeah. But he points out, to be fair, you need to compare like types. Sure. Like you can't compare something that's loaded down with like brownies and Snickers right. with like a plain vanilla. No. Because, you know, the brownies and Snickers are going to add weight and throw off your judgment. <laughs> that's right, in more ways than one. Yeah. Uh, so milk fat, there is a... Um, a range of milk fat you can use. Uh, premium ice creams max out at about 16% at the most, um, but generally they're about 14%. Uh, and ice cream in general is a minimum of about 10%. And butter fat, which is another name for it, Delicious. sounds so great. Both of them sound great. <laughs> um, butter fat makes it taste good and it makes it creamier and richer. But um, it's interesting that they found that uh, 16% is about as high as you want to go, though. It's not like, oh, just make it 50%. That'd be even better. Um, you just vomit after every bite. <laughs> well, you would, and people, they point out, or Ed points out, you wouldn't, people wouldn't eat as much. Right. Uh, because it is so rich and it is so calorie rich as well. And so they found that perfect combination of enough to make you plow through that pint and want to get another one the next night. Yeah. 
About 14 to 16%. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds pretty good when you're talking butterfat. 10% for the cheap stuff that like Ned Flanders would eat. <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. Um, so like I said, ice cream is a colloid and it's, um, created by adding egg yolk to milk fat and, uh, sugar. And I think that's a custard if you use the egg yolk, right? I think you use more egg yolk. Yeah. 1.4% at least. Something like that. I thought yeah. it was higher than that. Yeah, frozen custard is at least 1.4% egg yolk solids. Okay. So, so they're even, that's even worse for you. Right. So that's just like, well, not necessarily. Well, cholesterol wise, sure. Um, but the, the, the ice cream itself is specifically a, a, just this combination of, um, different types of ingredients with other agents that hold the whole thing together that's put through this process, right? So when you have your sugar, when you have your cream, yeah. your milk, mm-hmm. and you have your uh, eggs or mm-hmm. your, whatever you're going to use as a stabilizer or emulsifier. Sure. You put the whole thing together, and what you have right there is an ice cream mix. Yeah. And no matter whether you're making it at home or if you just bought a factory or inherited it from your rich uncle who just died uncle and ben. left it to you, yeah. Um, then you're going to be following pretty much the same process using virtually the same ingredients. Yeah, I've got um, an ice cream machine, which um, when I looked at the process of making ice cream, it's pretty much what goes on in this little thing. Right. Like you freeze the canister, which I found out the hard way. That's how you do it. Right. Because <laughs> I was like, man, it's not getting solid. Oh, no way. You did it without freezing the canister Yeah, I had first? no idea. Like you just used it at room temperature? At room temperature. And it How just, long did you try that for? Oh, it spun for quite a while yeah. before I realized what was going on. We luckily figured that out um, from the get-go. Made some pretty killer lemon gelato once. Yeah, so you freeze the thing and then it's, uh, <laughs> the canister actually spins and they have uh, like a blade in there right. that disrupts it, introduces the air bubbles, which is key yeah. um, to making ice cream nice and rich and creamy. And it also is, acts as a scraper to keep ice from forming, which is exactly what happens in big factories. Uh, it's pretty much the same process. Right. Or if you're using the hand crank thing, that's what you just said. The Johnson crank? <laughs> right. Yeah. What you just said listed off all of the um, necessary components to making ice cream. You've got... Um, something that's cooling it, that yeah. whether that little drum that you put in the freezer, mm-hmm. or you have ammonia-filled tubes that are freezing a tube that your mix is in. Yeah. Um. So you've got that, right? Yeah. You have um. And the ammonia tubes, we should point out, you, you, there's no ammonia. It's just making the tube cold. Right. The ammonia is not being introduced to no, the ice cream. Not at all. It's just, yeah. The tube is up against the tube that the ice cream is in. That's right. Um. Or. If you are making it at home using a Johnson crank, you're going to use rock salt, right? That's right. So I was kind of, I, I didn't understand what the point of using rock salt was. So I looked into it. You, yeah, we covered it a little bit within the salt episode, but not like super in depth. Okay. So basically the reason that you would add rock salt to ice is because if you just used ice, the freezing point of ice is um, 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. It takes... Uh, more than that, or more degrees than that. Let me put it a different way. <laughs> more Milk freezes at a lower temperature than ice. Yes. Right? So when you add salt, you actually lower the freezing point of that ice. Oh, okay. Because when you're using ice, it's a freshwater mixture. Yeah. Salt water ice has a lower freezing temperature. Yeah. So you're melting it, and it's melting and refreezing. And as the ice melts... 
the way that it's melting is by drawing heat from something else. In this case, your ice cream mixture, right? Right. So when you add salt, it has to draw more heat to melt because it has a lower freezing point, freezing temperature. Yeah. So that's why you add salt. It actually lowers the freezing point, which allows you to to cool your ice cream faster. Ah. Right? So it, it it lowers the freezing point. Yeah. So milk has a lower freezing point and it makes the it draws the heat out more quickly so those ice crystals don't form on the side. Just that simple little thing is the magic that makes it happen. Yeah. Yeah, we had a um electric ice cream maker growing up that was the same as the Johnson crank version, but right. you just plug it in. Yeah. Not like the new one that I have today, which is much different. Right. Which you definitely plug in. Yeah, definitely plug in. And you got to freeze that thing, apparently. <laughs> That's uh, so funny. But my church, one of my favorite memories growing up is my church would have ice cream socials where everybody would bring their own homemade ice creams. And there would just be a table with like 30 of those steel uh, containers, mm-hmm. you know, that people just take it right out of the old... Uh, you know, ice uh, rock salt bin, right? And just set it on the table, right? And you would just go berserk, you know, as a child. We had a, a Johnson crank, yeah, yeah, growing up. And you probably had to do it right because the parents are always like, "That's the fun part." I don't. I I'm sure I did. I don't yeah. really remember. I just remember the wooden bucket thing with the crank on top. Yeah, that's what I remember. And like a bag of rock salt. That's right, man. That when we I also the- use for the driveway too. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, of course we did in in Atlanta, but um, I remember when I saw that rock salt come out, it was a special evening at the Bryant House. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, so I mentioned the the little paddle. Um, it's called a dasher, which is the blade inside the tube, and this is if you're in an ice cream factory. And like we said, it whips it up, uh, introducing those air bubbles, and that's what gives it the structure. And like I said, also prevents the ice crystals, larger ice crystals, from forming because you don't want that. No. You want it cold, but you don't want ice. And we should say by this time, you, you've got your ice cream mixture, but you've already added whatever, whatever flavor you're going to add. Right. But if you're adding chunks of stuff. Which you should. You're not doing that quite yet. No. So you're freezing it. What you've, what you've just created is a frozen ice cream mixture. Yeah. But it's not technically USDA standard ice cream yet. If you stopped right here, and even if you added the Snickers or the brownies or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or both. What you would have is soft serve ice cream. Yeah. The ice cream still has another step to go through to become regular old ice cream. And that's the hardening process. Yeah, the hard freeze. Yeah. And that's basically all it is, is you take that soft serve and you have to get it down super low, at least to zero degrees Fahrenheit. But um, when you're in an ice cream factory, you're going to pump it down even lower because... You're going to be shipping it and packaging it, and that you want it to stay nice and hard right. throughout that whole process. Yeah, and um, yeah, and that—that's how you do it. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much making ice cream. It's—it's uh, it's a great, great thing that everyone should try. Making ice cream? Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, actually, that's funny that you say that because whether you have a hand crank or one of those awesome electric ones that you are that you have to freeze the drum ahead of time. Mm-hmm. You you can also just make it at home with like basically nothing. Yeah. Just using a, a couple of bags, baggies. Yeah. Like a bigger baggie, a smaller baggie. You make a little rock salt mixture, and um, well, I, I won't go through the whole recipe. But if you go to How Stuff Works and look up how ice cream works, there is a recipe for five minute ice cream that makes just a little bit using nothing but plastic bags and the ice cream ingredients. Yeah, and I don't think we mentioned that. Um, it's pasteurized along the way too, which oh, that's is an a important big one. step. Yeah. yeah, pasteurization keeps you from getting salmonella. 
Yes. And if you're making your own mix at home, you can even do that yourself with a double boiler. So um, we'll talk a little bit about just how much everybody loves ice cream right after this. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Hey friends, as every parent knows, kids seem to be everywhere all at once, and it's really tough for even the most watchful moms and dads to protect their little ones from every single thing. Yeah, Duracell understands this, and that's why they're deeply committed to lithium coin battery safety. Lithium coin batteries power a bunch of important things around people's homes, including things young children may have access to. So Duracell not only educates parents, caregivers, and medical professionals about the importance of lithium coin battery safety, they also make the only lithium coin batteries with a non-toxic bitter coating to help discourage children from swallowing them. Even Duracell's packaging is child secure and designed to avoid accidental opening. Because they believe their products should provide more than just power. They should also provide peace of mind. You can learn more at Duracell.com slash power safely. Available on 2032, 2025, and 2016 sizes. We will finish this out with some stats and the like, but first we should talk about overrun uh, because that's an important part of ice cream because uh, when you're making ice cream, the there's going to be an increase in volume as you go uh, because you're whipping all that air into it. Yeah. And that increase is called overrun. Right. And it's indicated by a percentage. Yeah. So if you're if the volume goes from one gallon of ice cream mixture to a completed one and a half gallons of ice cream. Yeah, it's a fifty percent overrun, which is good. But um, what the the pros shoot for, like our friends at Bluebell, with the great great commercials. Yeah, <laughs> they do make fantastic ice cream. They yeah, it is really good. So if you are a professional ice creamier, you might have as <laughs> yeah. much as a hundred percent overrun. But the premium ice creams um, are more dense, so they have less overrun. Right, which is why they're heavier. Yes. But you can also get into a, a situation where your ice cream is dense because you're not using much um, stabilizer or emulsifier. So that's not good? No, because it makes your ice cream chewy. Oh, no. So just really dense ice cream is not necessarily the best thing. Right. You want a mixture between the two of somewhat dense but not totally dense but not super light ice cream there's a there's a balance that you want to achieve yeah because the air like we said is what gives it the structure that you appreciate and you know it's familiar right 
You get some chewy ice cream. That's no good. No. No. Uh, and Chuck, we were remiss in not mentioning um, ice cream cones. Yeah, I'm not a cone guy. Are you? Yes. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. So when you go to like, you go out, you get it in the cone every time? No. Just sometimes? Yes. Do you get the waffle cone? Uh, if I get a cone? cone, I like I like it all except the the I don't know what they call the non sugar cone ones. The you know. cheap styrofoam. Yeah, type. yeah. <laughs> That's definitely the lowest on my list, but that one's fine. Um, but yes, I guess it, it does go waffle sugar cheap cone. Okay. Um, as far as order of preference goes, right? Sure. But no waffle cone. Obviously, that, that like just adds to the whole thing. Smelling like fresh made waffle cones being yeah. made. While you're ordering ice cream, really, I always get the cup. I yeah, I almost always more. do just for like just to be healthier. <laughs> yeah, while I'm eating ice cream. Well, no, but I mean that's a decision. Yeah, for sure. You know, but it is preferable in a waffle cone. I, I think might, they're delicious. I might start getting a cone every now and then. Um, so there's a there's an origin story to the waffle cone, and a lot of people place it at the 1904 World's Fair in St. Louis. That's right, and um, that is probably not where ice cream cones were invented, but that is where they were popularized. Yeah, I mean, if you're at a World's Fair, there's going to be some waffling going on, some waffle making. There definitely was some (laughs) waffles being made, um, but there was also some ice cream being served. That's documented. That's right. And the story goes that the ice cream makers ran out of plates or bowls or whatever they usually use, um, and they turned to the waffle makers who said, hey, we can help you out for a fee. Yeah. Let's turn these things into some sort of cone and mm. bam, that's what happened. But it turns out that the person who actually invented the ice cream cone was an Italian immigrant to America uh, named uh, Italo Marchio. Please, go ahead. You mean Italo Marchioni? Right. Yeah, and he also invented the ice cream, a you cream, a we all cream, but ice cream. I think he was the first one to coin that term. He was into ice cream big time. Yeah, but he actually filed a patent for the cone-making machine. A full year ahead of the fair. Yeah, so they, he generally gets credited with the invention of the ice cream cone, although just because you patent the machine doesn't necessarily mean that you were the first person who thought of the cone. No, supposedly there's French cookbooks that date back to the 1840s that um, have recipes for ice cream cones. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, and we also didn't mention uh, Jacob Fusel. We'd probably uh, need to mention that guy. Because he was the first, um, he opened the first wholesale manufacturing operation in the United States in Baltimore. And he, like um, some of the greatest success stories in business, sort of got into it by accident because he was just a dairy guy right. who had too much cream and was like, well, I guess I can try this ice cream thing out. And before you knew it, he was selling more ice cream than he was anything else. Yes. So good for him. You're good for us. Good for that's true. Good for all of us. So if you want to become like a Jacob Fusel type, you can actually go, depending on where you are in the country, to your local major university, and they may or may not, depending on the size of their dairy program, yeah, offer uh, like a real ice cream course. Yeah, Penn State is known for one, correct? Uh, yeah, Wisconsin has one. Oh, uh, well, of course. Actually, Penn State graduated Ben and Jerry back in 1977. Really? Yep. In ice creamery? Yes. Ah, I thought you were going to say, like, no, they were architects. No, one of them w- tried to get into med school. He graduated and couldn't afford med school. Yeah. The other one just dropped out of college. But both of them went together to Penn State's ice cream course and oh, graduated. Cool. Well, I saw, um, I went to their website to look at some of their facts, and they um, 
think they said they started their initial business with like four thousand dollars. I saw twelve. Oh, twelve grand. Yeah. Well, either way, that's cheap. <laughs> I know. You know, <laughs> it is. Uh, I do have some other stats, though. Lay them on us, Chuck. Uh, yeah, it's been a while since we've had a stat run. Uh, the majority of U.S. ice cream and frozen dessert manufacturers have been in business for more than 50 years, and many are still family-owned. This is why you see, like, the bluebells and stuff like that. <laughs> right. You know, there's yeah. not a lot of upstarts. Like, uh, you know, like, uh, extreme ice cream. Right. Made with Mountain Dew, Code Red. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, U.S. dairy approximates, uh, and this is a few years ago, 20 cur- uh, quarts per capita. Um, what, the, the U.S. eats every year? No, produced. Oh, wow. Yeah, they produce 20 quarts per capita. What's interesting, though, is the United States isn't the leader in ice cream consumption. Did you know that? Who is? New Zealand. No way. Yeah, New Zealand. Um, per capita, I guess. Obviously. Uh, yeah, well, Yes. Yeah, so the average New Zealander eats seven and a half gallons of ice cream a year. Wow. Americans eat five and a half gallons. Huh. Yeah. Uh, apparently, uh, Asia, the Caribbean, and Mexico, and Latin America all import ice cream as well to a large degree. Mm-hmm. And um, the most popular flavor is still vanilla, which I had to explain to Emily was a real flavor. <laughs> she thinks it's an absence of all flavors, right, like, like white light. Like white, yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, vanilla's a thing. Yeah. And some people love it. Vanilla's still good. She thinks it's a waste of calories to eat anything that's just plain vanilla. There are really good vanillas out there that you're just like, this is this is all that's needed. Oh, yeah, I you agree. Know? Like super creamy, like vanilla bean. Mm-hmm. Yummy. Yeah. Uh, and then chocolate chip mint and cookies and cream followed as the next most popular. I'm surprised plain chocolate is not on the list. Um, I saw a Grubhub survey. They did uh, most popular ice cream flavors by flavor ordered, and vanilla was number one. Wow. Um, That's surprising. But green tea was number two. Hmm. And I, I was thinking about it, and it's probably because, uh, like, at a Japanese restaurant, yeah, you don't really have any other options besides, oh, sure. you know, green tea. Yeah. I've never had the green tea ice cream. Is it good? Oh, my God. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Dude, I don't eat dessert in restaurants. It's so good. Yeah, I'm gonna have to start eating. If you go to a good Japanese restaurant, they bring it out whether you ask for it or not. It's oh, like really? part of the meal, oh, and wow. it'll be like green tea or um, red bean. There's yeah. another one too. That's yeah. a pretty good ice cream, but green tea definitely has it destroyed. That sounds delicious. Yes, it is. I'm hungry. Yeah. So if you want to know more about ice cream and to get this awesome, really easy five-minute ice cream recipe, go to HowStuffWorks.com and type ice cream in the search bar. And since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this first of two um, scientific method emails. So you're going to hear one here and then one in the next one. Awesome. Because these are great. We I was super proud of that one. And we got a lot of kudos from scientists, which is always nice. Uh, Hey guys, my name is Danny. I'm 23 and recently uh, graduated with a degree in astronomy and physics. Now work at an aerospace company in L.A. on a space mission concept called the Starshade. Where you go, Danny? I know. The Starshade is a really awesome piece of tech that allows, uh, will allow us to image planets around other stars and ultimately search for life outside of our solar system. I'm writing because I was just listening to the podcast on the scientific method. And as someone whose job regularly involves the scientific method, I want to express my appreciation for you guys recording such a great discussion on the subject. Uh, it's extremely important to give the public the opportunity to learn about science 
think that your podcast is a great vehicle by which this is achieved. So thanks. Uh, I remember once in the show, you guys let it slip that you get a few hundred emails a week. So statistically speaking, I'm twice as likely to become a millionaire than to get my email read on the show. I saw that and I felt like he was baiting us. Oh, he totally was. <laughs> and it worked. Uh, but in the case that some miracle happens and you do read it, I'd love if you could plug the astrophysics blog my friends and I have. It's called Astrophysics Unleashed and can be found online at astrophysics-unleashed.tumblr.com. And it's a place where we seek to expose the beauty hidden within astronomy and modern science. It's a great place for the inquiring mind to find food for thought or to ask questions. So uh, that is from Danny, and he said, I want to shout out to Jerry, J-E-R-I, but I was afraid I'd spell her name wrong. Hopefully that is right. Tell her that I have no idea what she's like at all, but I'd be willing to bet that she's really cool. <laughs> that is nice. Man, usually people have like a, a better chance of getting struck by lightning than spelling Jerry's name correctly, but he nailed it. Well, and here's a spoiler. The other scientist um, said the exact same thing about spelling her name wrong, and he spelled it right. Wow. So how about that? Man. Scientists are smart. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet to us, usually. Sure. S-Y-S-K podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And you can join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.